Welcome to Seth Bartman on podcast from startup to stock exchange. Good afternoon and welcome to the podcast. Today we have a very exciting show for you. And I think that um, there's going to be a lot of information that anybody that is on the journey from a startup to a publicly traded company will be able to, uh, to glean nuggets of data from. So my guest today is Maria Zanes. And um, She's the president and she's the CEO of a company called BioAffinity Technologies, Inc., which is traded on the NASDAQ exchange, B-I-A-F. And when I was doing my homework and my research on Maria, um, and I think this is as good a place as any to kick it off with, you know, when we think of a BioAffinity, biotech, life sciences, healthcare company traded on the NASDAQ, you know, the first thing that one might think of is that the CEO is a scientist or is a doctor or a PhD. And I was actually pleasantly surprised that um, Maria's background is not in the sciences, which gives, you know, perhaps some hope for somebody that uh, wants to go this route, um, but actually is a lawyer. So we share that in common. Um, Maria, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm fine, and thank you so much for having me. It's just a pleasure to be here to discuss bioaffinity technologies. I guess as, um, what what we should start off just for for clarification is bioaffinity technologies. Let's talk about what it is that the company does, what the objectives are, and then we'll back into um, how you uh, landed where you are now and uh, your journey. So, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about the company itself. Sure. And, and we'll certainly talk about my background as it relates to getting into the science. Um, but let's start with the company. You know, Bioaffinity Technologies is really has a mission that's based on one uh, very important fact, which is early diagnosis of cancer really equates to survival. So the company is looking at diagnostics. Its first diagnostic is for lung cancer, the leading cancer killer. But diagnostics, tests that can find cancer at an early stage. Despite the fact that I'm an attorney and my background is not in science, bioaffinity technologies is heavily based on science. And in fact, more than half of our uh, employees have PhDs or equivalents um, and are in the scientific arena. And we can, we can talk about that very much innovators, very much uh, individuals who have really focus their life and and um, have dedicated their life from take it to take very innovative scientific findings from bench to bedside. Uh, and we have done that here with bioaffinity technologies in the development of a test for early detection of lung cancer. It's a non-invasive test based on automated um, AI analysis of flow cytometry data. That's a that's a mouthful, and we can sort of get into that later. But it works, and um, and we're very excited about bringing it to market right now. Well, I don't know how many too, I don't know too many companies that are in uh, this category that can throw in that word AI. So I definitely want to circle back to that um, at the end of the conversation. <laughs> it's, it's exciting. But let's yes. let's talk about how you got here. Um, Maria, I promise I will not hold it against you if you do not hold it against me that we share that background as uh, as recovering attorneys. Um, take me back to the beginning. Um, 
did you always want to yeah. become the CEO of a, of a publicly traded company? How did, what was your journey like? Well, actually, I've been in business for 30 plus years, um, some in the C-suite, some uh, um, close to it. I actually started as a journalist and um, from there moved into doing more in the political arena and then from there went into business. Uh, I had near, I, I was um, finishing up work in Washington, D.C., where I was running a trade group for a large uh, industry in, in the environmental arena and had um, decided to move back to my home in New Mexico um, because my oldest brother uh, had uh, been diagnosed with glioblastoma with uh, cancer, brain cancer, very deadly brain cancer. And, and I was there for the last year of his life and it was quite a blessing. And it was at that time when I was in New Mexico, had really moved out of the political and the business arena that I came across some technology that had been developed by Los Alamos National Lab. And it was um, somewhat in need of a home. Uh, it was really fascinating. And um, it was not developed by, uh, by attorneys, but by scientists and, and medical doctors. And that is the core, that work that was done at Los Alamos really became the core of the technology that Bioaffinity Technologies developed. Um, I helped to, to um, get some funding for, for a clinical trial that showed great promise for the technology. And at the time realized that, that we really couldn't develop this uh, in New Mexico. We had to, we had to move to um, a, a, an area, not that New Mexico isn't a beautiful, beautiful place, but I, I really believe that we needed uh, a science team and a scientific team that really could take this, as I said, from, from bench to, to bedside that could develop this technology. And most important, I think I wanted to validate, I wanted someone or a team of scientists to look at this technology that we wanted to develop and to determine, yes, it's worth it. In other words, I didn't want to fall prey to what I call founderitis, uh, which is you get enamored with the technology or or with the science. You really have to have that critical eye. And I found that in um, a physician and a researcher, PhD MD, in San Antonio, Texas, by the name of Vivian Rebell. Dr. Rebell is a um, MD, PhD uh, she is a hematopoietic stem, cancer stem cell biologist. And by that, I mean, she's, look, she's really skilled at um, looking for rare cells and cancer is a rare And the technology is based on uh, finding those rare cancer cells. She was intrigued by what we had and she wanted to see indeed if it was worth moving forward with. Can, so I, we, can, I, can I interrupt you right there? Just because I find that fascinating. And, and just to drill down on that, that mindset, um, how, how did you perceive this opportunity where you hadn't really um, been exposed to this, this called the scientific community or the life science community? You know, it, myself, I had had exposure or some success in the compliance, different, compliance businesses and, and different industry in dealing with that arena. 
And then every time I, I ventured outside of my, you know, my four walls, you know, I tried something in, in weight loss, I tried something in apparel, I lost miserably. And, and then I went back within my four walls. What gave you the, whether it's confidence or the foresight to say, well, I don't really know anything about, you know, running a public, well, forget about public. I don't know much about the scientific community, but I'm going to venture off and now start my own company in this world that I really know nothing about. What, what was going on in your mind at that point? So first of, first of all, I, I do think from a business standpoint, I knew a lot. I felt very comfortable and confident, not only in running a, a public company, but at first, of course, we were a private company, um, but running a company and developing it. And second of all, the trick is you hire people, you work with people who are a lot smarter than you are. Um, and you question everything. Science had always been of interest to me um, I, in the environmental area. Obviously, I worked with a when I was working there. I worked with a lot of scientists, um, more epidemiologists um, than uh, perhaps biologists, but still biologists as well. And so the and the technology itself uh, was very simple to understand, and that is that you had a certain molecule, a porphyrin molecule that preferentially binds to cancer cells. And in addition to its binding, in other words, cancer cells take it up more than, that, than normal cells do, um, this porphyrin causes the cells to glow, to fluoresce really. And they fluoresce in a very specific spectrum that can be measured and can be seen under a microscope, and in our case, seen using an instrument called a flow cytometer. So that so even for my non-scientific background, the technology itself made sense. And there was a lot of literature and science behind it to show that this porphyrin indeed uh, was taken up at far greater amounts than non-cancer cells. Uh, especially it was working with lung cancer. Now, my father, in addition to having just lost my brother, glioblastoma, my father died of lung cancer when he was only 39 years old. And, I, and, and we've had a lot of cancer in um, our family. So there was a personal, but also a, a professional uh, want to get into this and, and to see if this was something that was worth moving forward with. I was very aware, for example, that lung cancer is cancer killer, that it was typically found, normally found, most often found in late stage, meaning stage four, um, and that when cancer is found early, you really can make a huge difference. In fact, in lung cancer, the, the um, overall five-year survival rate is just above 20%. Um, but if it's if lung cancer is found in stage one, the 10-year survival rate jumps to over 90%. Wow. So all of this was something I knew when I first came across the technology and found it so interesting. What I didn't know, or what I, let me go back to one other thing I knew, which is so many um, biotech companies fail. They just, they don't go forward. And one of the reasons they don't, it's not necessarily, they aren't run by very competent business people um, and who know how to commercialize something. It's the science, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's mother nature and mother nature secrets very, very well. 
um, and likes to confound us. So I knew at that time that in order to succeed, I had to get in the scientists, the individuals, the medical doctors, and, and do the experiments and the research to prove out the worthiness of this, uh, of this, it's certainly more than an idea, but the ability to use this, uh, this research that had already been done to propel it into a commercial product. Maria, let me ask you this, if you could take us through the timeline from you know, realizing that you have something that could, for the better, change the world, truly, truly help people, to recognizing the need to go public, and we'll get into the reasons for that. What 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 type of uh, time frame are we looking at? So we're really looking at about eight years. We went wow. uh, in 2014. We established Bioaffinity Technologies, and we started to work with Dr. Rebel. Dr. Rebel at the time um, was, had her own lab at the University of Texas Health Science Center at the Greehe Cancer um, Center. She um, had come to the University of Texas from Dana-Farber, where she worked um, in Dr. Livingston's lab. Uh, and as I said, had both an MD and PhD and was very much looking at cancer stem cells. And intrigued, we started to work with her. Her team um, started to sort of take the technology through its paces to start to understand what it was and why it was that this porphyrin uh, preferentially bound to cancer cells. And not only that, how we might take some earlier work that was done and the clinical trial that was done to commercialize this um, technology. It was after a couple of years of work with the university, with Dr. Rebell in her position as a professor at the university that she decided and she agreed to come over and now she is our chief medical and science officer, executive VP, and very much the architect of the um, test that we now have, which is a, a non-invasive test for the early detection of, of lung cancer. She then built a team of scientists. Um, we had some, we have a, a really a stellar group of, of individuals, men and women, um, with a good bit of experience themselves before they came, um, who are working at, at developing not only now Cypath Lung, which is the name of the, the test for the early detection of lung cancer, but developing a platform um, that we can use to uh, discover, or I'm sorry, detect additional lung diseases and additional cancers. Wow. And, and so you, you are essentially an eight-year overnight success, right? Is that, is that <laughs> what we're trying to convey? Um, no, it's, it's, really, it's really important because people feel like, you know, they see, they see the celebrations at NASDAQ and they see the confetti and they think that it's all, it's all fun and games and it is, right? It's exciting and, and there's reason to yeah. celebrate, but they don't always recognize the, the decade of, of, of work that goes into that moment. Um, and if I might, it, it's really longer than that because that's my journey. But the fact is that the, that the work that is done was really built on an even uh, stronger foundation than the work that we did, which I think is very strong. We completed a clinical trial recently. It was recently published um, 
in a peer-reviewed journal of respiratory research. And we found that our uh, that, that we were able to distinguish between cancer and non-cancer with this test to detect cancer with 92% sensitivity, meaning 92% of the time we appropriately call, or the, the test, I should say, not we, the test called correctly someone who had cancer, correct? And 87% specificity, meaning at the same time, it also, the test also said 87% of the time that indeed you did not have cancer. So very, very good results. We were able to do that for individuals who are at high risk for cancer. So people with already having compromised lungs and who had small nodules, small lung nodules that were less than 20 millimeters, meaning early stage, stage one and two. Um, and that I think was the proof of the pudding there of the of the phenomenal that Dr. Bell and her team has done have done. Um, it's just how well the test performed in a clinical trial. And and let me ask you this, Marie. I mean, it, with the amount of work and effort that goes into getting to where Biofinity is today, day in and day out, and the testing and the research and um, the, the speaking and the traveling, how would you say? Uh, or, or what advice would you give to, to those CEOs or CFOs or executive management team that is looking to go public? They're exploring, they're on the horizon. Um, you know, I, 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 I tell people that it's basically two full-time jobs, right? One is running the business of the business, whether it's biotech or pharma or electric vehicles or med tech, and the other is the, the running of a public company. Um, what, what, is that true? Is it two full-time jobs? How do you balance? No, it's at, at I, least two. Seth. It's at least two. <laughs> I'm, I'm minimizing the challenge. That's um, right. <laughs> what advice would you no, give no. to balance that? Enjoy it. I think Enjoy that. It. That's that, good advice. Um, I like that. Yeah, no, I think, I think you, you have to enjoy not only the work that you do, because it is, a, it is another animal being um, being a public company. And you have to enjoy that and you have to, to um, understand what you can control and what you can't. Um, the other advice is put your head down and do your work. Mm. Um, you can too often get taken up by what's happening on the market or your stock or this right. or that. Right. That's all fine. It's, not to do, it's certainly not to ignore, but it is most important that you get your work done. Um, and, and that means really you have to enjoy that core work. I, I cannot, I, you know, I can't say enough about our team and how much I enjoy working with all of the individuals. They're, they're remarkable scientists and professionals and really a, a fun group in the sense that we all enjoy our work. It's sometimes easier and it's not to diminish other people's work at all, but it's certainly easier for us to be dedicated given that we, our mission is really to detect early cancer and to make people's lives better. And we have a very clear vision and, uh, and, um, and focus in that regard. So it makes our jobs um, uh, more enjoyable. It makes it easier to really enjoy your job when um, when you get into tougher decisions and tougher times. I, I think that definitely comes across, anybody who's listening to this, you know, 
I, I think the advice that is always given is that people should, you know, love what you do, but it clearly comes across in your voice, just that passion and that enthusiasm and that energy um, that you do love what you do. Um, and I guess that probably answers my next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Sure. You know, in today's environment, when companies are looking to raise capital, um, whether pre-IPO or post-IPO, secondary rounds, things like that, you know, very often the the uh, the question that gets thrown back at them is, do you have any revenue yet? Now, that's not the case when you're dealing in the life sciences and biotech, you know, but you know, for you, how do you, how do you have that drive day in and day out um, when you're dealing with a little bit of the intangible? I mean, you've got the test results and you've got the research results, um, but every day you are, you have to convince yourself that you're going in the right direction. And uh, I'm sure over the 10 years, uh, there have, there have to have been days when you'd be like, there's got to be a little bit of self-doubt that creeps in once in a while. Um, what do you, what do you say to yourself? So I, I have to tell you, I, um, I never stopped doubting. And I think that that's essential. I think that you, to be motivated, there has to be tension. There has to be the questioning. But that's different than having a fear of something or having necessarily, I, I guess it is doubt. You say, well, is this right or that right? You can't be, certainly in the scientific arena, you're always trying to prove something wrong mm. um, because if you're in no, the it, right. So if you're, if you're trying to prove yourself, right, you'll miss something. So you have to look objectively every day at, at what you're doing and question it at the same time, there needs to be, there has to be a confidence in moving forward. So in order to confidently move forward, you also have to be able to be flexible so that if today it looks like it's, this is the way to go, but tomorrow it looks like maybe there should be a tweak to it and all. It's that balance, right? You can't, you can't not, you, you have to have a goal and you have to have strategies. And it may be that the tactics, uh, uh, attenuant to those strategies change and the tools that you use change. But overall, um, I think that we know our goal. Um, we have our strategies. Um, we know the different tactics and tools that we use. The tactics and tools sometimes change because those, you can always every day question um, uh, the, when you get down to, should today we do a press release or should today, should we, we, um, go to this meeting or should we spend more time in conferences or, or more time on zoom, right, <laughs> whatever right. it is. Um, I don't know if I'm completely answering. No, that, no, no. This is, this is, it's this that is balance, not... right. Sure. Of, of, that you need to have, but I, I, it works, it, it works. works for us, but we certainly, we certainly have a company that is always questioning the science because we want to get better. Well, let me ask you this, Maria, before we start to wrap things up, you know, um, I feel like uh, every so often there's a buzzword that people are focused on. I think uh, whether NFTs have come and gone and metaverse has come and gone is, uh, is debatable, but I think uh, everybody is, is very familiar with the buzzword of chat GBT and AI. So you mentioned AI before, if you could explain how, how does that how does that gel with the world of uh, of early detection and, and what you're trying to accomplish? Sure, that's a, a thank you for bringing us back to that because that's a very <laughs> exciting part of our of our test. Um, 
our test is based on uh, the looking at and discovering what's in the lung microenvironment. We are not a molecular test. We're not looking at DNA or methylation. We're really looking at whole cells and at whole cell populations. We use something called flow cytometry that's extensively used in the in blood cancers and, and other um, blood diseases where you run a sample and, and the cells are uh, processed with different antibodies and it allows the flow cytometer to identify different cell populations, including going back to what I talked about to begin with, the cell population that has been labeled with that porphyrin that preferentially um, binds to cancer cells. In doing so, we get the, the this big data of all of these cells, 20 million cells in a, in a uh, sample about um, it's a sputum sample, and and about 20 mil million cells are part of that sample. And in less than 20 minutes, we can identify and run through and get this big data analysis. What Where the AI came in and what we developed was through machine learning, we were able to develop an automated analysis so that we take all of those many millions of data points and in less than a minute or two, we're able to determine whether somebody has cancer or not wow. based on certain parameters that are present in the lung microenvironment as shown by these different cell populations. And it is so it's been so essential. One is obviously from a commercial standpoint, we're looking and determining whether someone has cancer or not from this big data set in, in remarkably fast. Um, it standardizes the answers, the results that we get. Um, it's And also the, um, the platform sees things that the naked eye wouldn't be able to see. And so in doing that, we're able to get more precise, more accurate, uh, more standardized results with the using AI, using uh, and, and machine learning. And we'll apply that same platform or that idea of a platform. Obviously, there may be different parameters that come out to be important as we move into other lung diseases such as COPD and asthma. And but basically have the same platform of flow cytometry. We're very excited about it. We're really taking advanced flow cytometry into a whole new, very exciting realm. I, I have to say, you know, it is um, it's very exciting to be able to speak to um, a company that is not just about you know the uh, hitting hitting the numbers right and and just about the financials, but really looking to help people and. And, and, and save the world, which is really what we're talking about here. So um, Maria, thank you for your time. For those listening, um, Bioaffinity on the NASDAQ, BIAF, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to connect again in a couple months. We'll get an update where things are at. And thank you so thanks. much for your time and insight today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Seth. And thanks to everyone listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.